On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Well, I think uh, I think we are all good to go. So it's 11 o'clock. As the, uh, as the sign says on the screen, keep it moving and I will keep it moving. So I'd like to welcome everyone to our uh, keep it moving panel discussion, optimizing logistics during the pandemic. Uh, I'm Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Josh DeLay, Vice President of Business Development for J.B. Hunt. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the issues that the industry is facing, both from a retail and manufacturer perspective. We have a really great panel. And Josh, why don't you, uh, why don't you take over those introductions and, and tell folks who we're going to be talking to today? Good deal. Well, thank you very much, Bill. And everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, excited to be talking to the industry. As you know, here at J.B. Hunt, we, we work with both manufacturers and retailers in the furniture industry. And, and we always jump at the chance to be able to have a conversation about, about issues or challenges or opportunities that are affecting the industry. And of course, we've all got both across our industry and across society as a whole, a lot going on right now, especially as it pertains to COVID-19. So today we've got, we've got three fabulous panelists with us here. Uh, representing both the retail side of the industry and the manufacturing side. So uh, I'm going to hand it over. First, we've got uh, got Ward Digman here from Bob's. Uh, Ward, if you can give us a quick quick background on yourself. Yeah, thanks, Josh, and good morning to you and Bill and the rest of the panelists. Uh, uh, I've uh, excited to be on the panel today with the rest of the folks here. I've uh, been in supply chain operations now, somewhat surprisingly, for almost 30 years, uh, of which uh, 15 years I've been in furniture operations. So. Uh, thought I've seen about everything until this uh, past uh, COVID experience <laughs> occurred, like a lot of us, and uh, everything else was new there, but uh, certainly a lot of experience in furniture and, and supply chain. I've been uh, a year and a half now at Bob's Discount Furniture, uh, great company, great people here, and uh, again, oversee inbound logistics, the DC fulfillment, and then outbound delivery, which we'll talk about more today. Very good, very good. Thank you, Warden. From the, the manufacturing side of the industry, we've got Scott Prilliman from Hooker. Morning. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, everybody else. I, uh, I've been just finished my 30th year at Hooker Furniture, so I've been here since I was about 12. Um, <laughs> been, a, been a great company, and I've been in operations more or less the entire time, a lot of different areas. I currently manage Asia and U.S. operations, supply chain, product develop, new product development, uh, logistics, warehousing. Um, so. I've been dealing with a lot of this for a while now. Good deal, good deal. Welcome, Scott. Also on the retail side from Broad River Retail, we've got Charlie Workman. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Josh. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've, I've been with Broad River Retail for five years. I am a managing partner in service of operations, overseeing center and delivery. Um, and I uh, just really appreciate you guys having me here today. Very good, very good. Thank you, Charlie. So. So to drive the discussion today, guys, we're going to talk kind of in terms of flow, right? In terms of both product flow, product gets built, sent to retailers, sold and delivered to customers, but also in terms of the flow of the chronology of, you know, how we as organizations have had to deal with 
with COVID-19, how it's affected our operations, um, our associates, our customers. And so to kind of kick it off, I want to go back in time just a little bit, back to December um, and start on the manufacturing side of the business. So, so Scott, this first question that we have is for you. So the, the pandemic really hit China in December. And as we all know, a lot happens in our industry over in China. That was disruptive to the supply chain, you know, even before U.S. companies began closing their doors or, or even before it was really big news that was over here. So, so looking at things from an international perspective, an upstream manufacturing perspective, what impact would you say that manufacturers here in the U.S. saw early in the year? And, and back then, what adjustments did you have to be making? How did that all play out for you? Yeah, like you say, back in, I guess, early December, we start hearing about COVID. Uh, you know, I think most of us felt like it was kind of like some other pandemics we heard about in other countries, you know, like SARS or bird flu. You know, we didn't expect it to affect us directly. Um, but, you know, during Chinese New Year's, when it really hit hard, you know, it was about the time Wuhan city started going on lockdown um, and our factories were not, not able to open back up immediately post Chinese New Year. We have one or two very major suppliers in China and they were delayed by as much as a month opening back up on any level. And even when they did open back up, it was at a crawl. Um, and then, then we didn't think about the fact that. This also affects our other source countries quite a bit. You know, Vietnam has been a big furniture source country. You know, their subcons and a lot of their uh, component parts were sourced out of China, whether it be fabric or door guides or lighting, uh, leather. And so th that supply chain was disrupted. So we started immediately understanding that we're going to have delays, obviously. Um, so we, we started, you know, just communicating very closely with our suppliers to understand the length of those delays and when we might get caught back. Up. Um, we didn't make any knee-jerk reactions to the pandemic at that time because all we need, knew was we were going to have delays and we needed to plan for it and plan for our next steps beyond that. That's kind of the way it started for us. The next step very quickly, um, it kind of, it seemed like here in the U.S. operations were open one day and closed the next. I, I mean, it kind of seemed to happen almost overnight. What was that process like as you had to deal with your U.S. operations, and uh, what, how, you know, how do you shut down something so quickly? Pretty scary. First of all, obviously, you know, in mid March, I guess is when it hit us directly. Like to say, it, it was almost overnight that we were concerned about getting inventory. To the fact, then we went quickly. Do we need any inventory? Because we expected our demand to go to essentially nothing for some period of time that we didn't know how long that would be. So, you know, we. You know, we certainly had our entire lives disrupted. You know, schools are closing, businesses are closing, government-mandated shutdowns, and a lot of confusion came from those shutdowns. Did that mean trucking couldn't operate? A lot of those things happened. And, uh, we had carriers that all of a sudden had to shut down services to certain areas. Some carriers shut down completely. Um, so, you know, it was just, I guess, just mass confusion what was going to happen. You know, Hooker um, and probably like most companies immediately went into preservation mode. You know, what do we need to do to survive this financially? What do we need to do to come out of this strong at the end? So, you know, we had to make some tough decisions, um, knowing, again, like I said earlier, that we weren't going to have any business for some period of time. So, we, you know, we made some tough decisions. We adjusted our workforce. We furloughed uh, a large percentage of our employees. Uh, we 
we adjusted some purchase orders. We didn't go out and cancel a lot of POs in mass because we knew we needed the inventory down the road. So we worked with our vendors to, to delay some POs. We worked on uh, cost concessions with some suppliers. Uh, we worked on payment terms uh, with with, customers, with our suppliers because we knew our customers were going to have some payment issues with us because they were going to be cash strapped. So, you know, I think in a nutshell, we, we, we made a lot of challenging decisions, we closed five of our six manufacturing facilities for up to a month as demand dropped, laid all capital expenditures that were non-essential. Probably the same things a lot of our competitors did, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but more than anything, we just worked closely with our vendors to figure out how we managed through it, not knowing the answers, knowing we had to work together. Well, thanks, Scott. It was kind of an incredible, unprecedented time, I think, for all of us that looked at it. And, and as we're talking about manufacture of the product, the flow of the product on the on the on the manufacturing side of the business, you know, let's segue over to how the retailers were seeing it at that point as well, too. And I and I want to start with again with talking about product flow. So uh, maybe we'll start with Charlie, but what we want to hear how you guys were seeing it from a Bob's perspective as well. It's kind of overall following in from from Scott's story as this was all unfolding. How would you say the impact of the pandemic there impacted first the flow of goods coming into your organization? Yeah, um, so it certainly had an impact. Um, so there would have been a delay in terms of when we started seeing it. It didn't happen in mid-March as it would a manufacturer where you really started to understand that, uh, you know, the supply, some of those supply chain impacts. Um, we really started seeing it take hold in April, which our organization was the same time we were opening a new distribution center in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, Four Oaks, North Carolina. Um, we we just gotten off of our best Q1 in company history. Um, we were rocking and rolling, and um, and, then, and then we understood um, and, and through a lot of learning uh, through March. Uh, you know, my, my business partners Charlie Malouf, Manny Rodriguez, and I had a good idea that something disruptive was on us. Uh, we wasted no time in putting together a task force that was. Uh, just as Scott spoke to, uh, focused on preservation and really just positioning us to thrive uh, in spite of a pandemic and to come out, um, you know, more than break even, but somehow find a way um, to be a productive retailer through the pandemic. And uh, so we certainly, not a single supply chain wasn't impacted by this, I can't imagine. Um, and, uh, and Ashley was not immune to it, but um, I'll tell you, um, you know, with a lot of talk of social distancing and I think it's a misnomer. Um, I don't think we've ever been more social uh, than we are right now. And the collaboration between our vendors, uh, between our, our partner, Ashley, um, and um, uh, and just so many other people was just stellar, unbelievable. And the amount of working together, uh, various organizations coming together and finding a way through it together, preserving money together, uh, understanding each other's uh, positions and needs, uh, we were able to find a way um, to, to continue to stay open and continue to deliver furniture. Uh, it helped that we were a dealer uh, and that we had inventory and we were able to continue to fulfill orders. It helped that, um, you know, at the ashleyfurniture.com, we have a website that, that continued to generate orders in our in our geography and uh, we're able to continue to move forward with uh, with generating income and keeping, uh, keeping employees moving and busy. We did furlough a lot of employees. Uh, we're happy to say that we laid off no employees um, and we've been uh, been excited to bring them all back too. 
good deal. We were talking before the call among all of us, and I don't hear JB Hunt. It's been interesting that while we haven't been able to see each other physically as much as we used to, we felt closer to each other than ever, just even through media like this, being able to uh, to work virtually, working through problems together, making command decisions that, that really affect our businesses. And, and Charlie, you touched on, on the fact that, you know, with Ashley, the Broad River organization, you guys have a robust domestic supply chain as well. It leads to a bit of a lag effect, right? You have distribution centers, you have product flow that works. Ward Bob's is known for that as well, too. How did it look for you guys from a product flow perspective? Yeah, uh, thanks. A lot of the same things that the uh, other guys brought up, we, we experienced, of course. So when this hit for us mid-March, uh, early March, it, it happened fast. And so uh, first and foremost was really just to kind of get our arms around it as a management team around the business and the impact. And, and a, a, our number one concern was the safety of our associates and certainly our customers and ensuring that we're doing the right thing. And uh, we are, you know, fortunate to be, I guess, at this point, uh, depending on how you look at it, this fortunate to be geographically dispersed. So from stores that go all the way from Southern California to uh, the New England area and everywhere in between, um, a lot of different uh, perspectives on what we can and can't do from a retail perspective, different areas of the country, different cities themselves. Uh, starting to shut down and slow down. And so we were kind of reacting as quickly as we can to follow the guidelines there, watching as essentially our uh, our employees from that standpoint. And then uh, as we got our arms around that, of course, was looking at the overall supply chain, our business and what we need to do. Uh, similar themes I've heard from the other panelists here in terms of uh, preserving you know, cash, you know, just survival, get through this, uh, do what we need to do. I mean, those were all the common themes that we wanted to work around. But then in turn, uh, again, with supply chain, and we certainly uh, noticed the effect of that, uh, there's some long lead time, especially when you import like we do from, from Asia, like the rest of the retailers. And you just can't turn that spigot off overnight uh, as much as you would want to. So we uh, work with our merchandising partners, replenishment team, our inbound logistics group uh, really closely, almost immediately. And certainly a lot of uh, partnerships that we've established over the years with our vendors and even the ocean carriers. Uh, came together as quickly as we could just to figure out what we can do to shut things down and essentially turn our supply chain, the pipeline off as fast as we can in an organized manner uh, and then ensure that no customers were disrupted. We were still trying to maintain some semblance of delivery operations through the whole um, pandemic. Proud to say that in a safe manner, we really haven't had any issues. Knock on wood, we're able to keep our five distribution centers open through the entire time and some uh, core semblance of delivery. We had to ramp several of our depots down. We had 34 at one point. We ramped you know, almost half of those down just to be more centrally organized across the country. Uh, but the, the, I guess the long answer short here is that you know, while we had to go through a lot of um, uh, uh, effort to shut the supply chain down, I think it was done in a very effective manner, uh, preserving our cash force. And then Almost as fast as that was shut down and we kind of got our arms around it, we already, as a company, began to plan our reemergence, which I think was key to get everybody back on the same page. And when it's time to go, what are we going to go do and who's going to go do what? And we had a lot of communication that way. And then I think the last thing, just to echo, I think uh, Josh and saw each other through this. We had a lot of carrier calls. And again, with my internal team, I, I don't think we've ever become uh, more close, if you will. And that's probably what a crisis like this does. So I think internally, we really work together well. And certainly uh, with the cooperation of partners across the country, I uh, came through this really, really strongly. So excited to be where we're at right now. 
But that's a, a really great segue, I think, chronologically. You talked about having to ramp things down and then having to ramp back up. And I think that's a really good segue. And if we kind of reverse the, the supply chain process, Scott, as things came back online and you had to ramp up, it's not like you walk into the factory, you flip a switch and all the goods just start flowing out automatically. What did that process look like? You know, for us, fortunately, we didn't have to completely shut down our, our distribution operations. We certainly slowed down the flow of product from Asia as quickly as we could without trying to, trying to avoid disrupting our suppliers as much as possible, knowing they had whip out there that we didn't want to cancel on. We kept our distribution centers running at a much lower, slower pace with a lot less employees, you know, because we still had our e-com business that was flowing pretty good. Not great, but still pretty, pretty, pretty well. And so when things start opening back up, you know, we, you know, April was our low point. May improved some in June and July and obviously quite a bit better. We were quick to adjust our supply chain planning. We, we never disengaged. Um, with our suppliers. We had almost daily check-ins with our leadership here at Booker with supply chain, uh, with, with executive leadership to, to plan, plan again, replan, adjust plans. You know, we were just knowing that we didn't know what we needed. We just knew we had to stay on top of it and be willing to be very flexible. And so, so we, we continued that. And then when, when the business was clearly coming back, we certainly tried to ramp up. Again, I think uh, Walt Ward may have mentioned that, you know, the supply chain is pretty long, so it's not like we can turn it back on and get it next month. You're talking four or five months down the road before that product shows up at our door. So we work really closely with our suppliers. We have a couple of very significant suppliers that we never get out of touch with. We want to make sure we're top of mind for them whenever they start ramping back up. And I had a conversation recently as last week with one of our most significant suppliers. You know, they, they reduced their workforce by approximately 50% during the worst of this. And though it's very emotionally challenging to downsize, it's much more challenging to physically grow back, getting those people back, getting them back to work, getting new employees trained up. They have scheduling challenges. They're dealing with now trying to figure out, um, is, the, is the demand real or is it a short-term blip? Are they ramping up too fast and it's going to fall back off? Is there going to be a second wave? So all those things are part of it. So it's really challenging up and down the supply chain. I think the main thing is, with Hooker's case, we try really hard to, to maintain close relationships with our suppliers, and 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 we treat them as good as we can, and we expect them to treat us very well in tough times. And it's definitely a collaboration. So we hope and feel that that helps us when things are all over the board, that they, they're going to value our business, give us the production time, get our product flowing pretty effectively. Uh, it's not just a transaction. We want to make sure we get that supply chain flowing effectively for us. So I think that's a lot to say that we're just being very uh, collaborative with our suppliers, adjusting, readjusting plans, and really just being flexible because we don't know what's next. So I hear a lot of communication, collaboration, planning, partnership. You know, we've really focused in our talk here so far about how manufacturers, how how raw material and, and component vendors, how ocean carriers, domestic carriers, retailers and their vast organizations, you know, stores, upstream distribution centers, just how this whole system that we all work in fits together. And that communication and collaboration, that planning and that partnership 
gave us good opportunities to continue to cement those relationships and and work together in the face of a lot of unknowns. But there's a there's a key population that's out there as well that we all work very very hard to communicate to, to collaborate with, to partner with, and plan with that, that don't quite have all the same controls that we may have in our tightly controlled businesses, and that's that's the purchasing public. So we've got as we've all been working through our different business challenges throughout all of this, we've got folks buying furniture. And we've seen we've seen a strong emergence, you know, of of demand as stores have started to open back up. And sure, there's variation from market to market around the country, but the general theme we've been hearing is what it is. But so importantly, we know it's 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 critical on the delivery side of the business to be able to have safe, comfortable consumers in their homes to have a good experience. So wanna wanna ask some more retail questions now. I think Charlie, I wanna I wanna address this one to you, you first. And as we've seen these these just society and therefore retail stores really begin to open back up, um, you've had to address some 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 consumer health concerns. So what sort of adaptations have you made to your home delivery? And I think as I asked both of you and Ward this, interested in hearing kind of some of the things you've done that would be useful, valuable to other folks who are out there, but also even more interesting, what surprises have you run into? Has there been anything that, that you that you didn't expect? Yeah, great question. Um, I think this is one of those areas uh, just from past collaboration with other retailers um, that we hear a lot of common commonality uh, around. And we would because if we're we're doing our due diligence and we're adhering to CDC guidelines and we're uh, we're rallied around the same safety protocols, then then we would have common answers with respect to this question. And on the home delivery side, you know, obviously safety is is paramount importance. It's more important than finishing or completing a delivery to a customer. It's more important than, you know, dropping a route or completing a route or, 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 or having somebody come into the distribution center at all if they're unwell or there's the potential for unwell. So first we start with, uh, you know, just the most simple barrier, which is before somebody comes into our, our distribution centers, uh, a temperature check is is required. And while a temperature check certainly doesn't capture asymptomatic and uh, you know asymptomatic partners um it, it does give a, a vital checkpoint for somebody to think twice before trying to come into the distribution center and to tough it out for the day um so we like to think that it's preventative and we think that it is a best practice um but then there's the the, the typical uh the, the typical uh processes and, and protocols that have, have been rolled out everywhere uh, every single uh broad river retail employee every single uh, delivery partner that's making uh, a delivery uh, or coming into our distribution centers or making deliveries to our homes have to wear masks. Um, they have to wear gloves. They have to wear shoe covers when uh, when going into a customer home. Um, they have to practice physical distancing and we practice it or preach it rather uh, every single morning, 6 a.m. stand up just like it's being practiced and preached uh, across the country right now. And, um, and we, we put a lot of pressure on our partners to keep themselves and their own families safe and to think about themselves and their families first and be selfish about it to some extent and to not take unnecessary risks with the customers um, and to uh, and to just, you know, keep, keep their distance and be extremely respectful, ask permissions to do things in the customer home. Um, and then, of course, the, util the utilization of sanitation wipes and hand sanitizer between stops uh, at various points through the distribution center um, to be able to wipe down cabs daily. Uh, to make sure that we're uh, we're doing our level best to prevent um, any kind of any kind of spread of COVID or interaction with the customer that we're going to regret or customer or employees. 
So we, we've done those things. Um, we continue to do those things. They're more important now, frankly, than they were at the beginning uh, of the COVID crisis. Mathematically, here in the South, geographically, we're, we're starting to see a shift become sort of the epicenter in the United States of some of these issues uh, or the, the infections. And, and so we are, uh, if anything, more vigilant today than we were uh, even then. We have been very fortunate not to have experienced uh, any significant issue with respect to our customers uh, and this, uh, you know, in COVID-19. So keeping everybody safe is, is, is top of the line. That's, that's the customers in their homes. That's the, the delivery associates that we work with. And again, making sure that everybody's on the same page, doing their share, making sure that the, uh, the spread is stemmed in an environment where we're technically sending folks into, into strangers' homes all day, every day. It's, it's no, no small task. Ward, how about, how about you guys at Bob's? What, what, what other stuff have you been seeing? Or have been doing in terms of the uh, the delivery side of the business. Yeah, uh, thanks, Josh. Uh, there's not a lot more to add. I think Charlie hit all the high points. Uh, again, safety was uh, paramount for us as well, for our partners, for our associates, for all the right reasons. So we've always been um, uh, conscious of that. But when this hit, again, maybe different than where Charlie's at geographically speaking. Uh, being up in Connecticut, uh, Greater New York, California, we we had it hit a lot sooner and and a lot more intensely. And so we were on it almost immediately and, and reacting uh, appropriately. So we are all over from with our purchasing uh, partners internally, uh, getting the mask and sanitation uh, wipes, all these things that quickly got out of stock. And then it became a game to try to see if we could find things that were out of stock almost all of the time that way. Uh, and then as we uh, you know, reemerge, just instilling that as a common practice with um, our folks in the DCs. And you know, luckily they've embraced it. Uh, we've learned a lot along the way in terms of uh, you know, just not just in cleaning and so forth, but just in and uh, working with people with you know, social distancing and things like that, that we keep top of mind, uh, working with uh, our delivery partners as well. It was uh, paramount that we didn't want to put them in harm's way. Uh, if there was any particular delivery that they did not feel comfortable with, there was nobody forcing them, we would let them move on. Um, we did adjust uh, in not all markets in some markets, uh, very temporarily reduced and eliminated uh, for a brief amount of time some white glove delivery. Uh, that was for maybe a week here, a week there, if it really got to be a concern by the uh, delivery associates. And then we also um, uh, suspended temporarily uh, the uh, removal of um, old bedding and mattresses from customers just to kind of give another safety precaution. We just thought that was the right thing to do. So everything was airing on the side of caution that way. We're, we're, we quickly kind of adjusted and got back to as normal as we can. Uh, it was also interesting to note, uh, again, we, we were offering, like anybody else, white glove delivery. Uh, we had something at the time with threshold delivery that we would bring it in. We would do a setup, you know, so just a, a different version of white glove, just to be a uh, more, little bit more economic for the customers. So we uh, established contactless delivery or, you know, just like everyone else, it seems like in retail. Uh, but it was interesting. Our, our threshold uh, percentage as a company was always around 20%. It got up to as high as almost 40%. Uh, you thought it would be higher than that. Um, so that told me 60% of the time people were still comfortable uh, with white glove delivery during this. And I think that's also a testament to all of the precautions that we were taking and they could see with a mask and the gloves and wiping things down. And then we also provided customers videos on our website just to show them uh, any concerns that they may have in advance of their delivery. Everything that we continue to do in the DCs, as well as delivery in terms of ensuring that there's uh, safety across the board. So. Uh, Again, it peaked. It's, it's the threshold has peaked close to 40%. It's dropped back down to 
near the 20% level. And then it was also very interesting for us that the uh, contactless delivery option uh, was you know, literally single digits. Uh, so very few people wanted that just dropped off. And so, but we were still you know, safe in doing all that. So we were able to see some changes, and, but not as much as you would think in, in the home delivery business, given uh, what's going on. And then lastly, again, we've had, a, I think we were featured even in Furniture Today, a lot of uh, newspapers in terms of what our store partners have done to reopen our stores up safely. Uh, I think we also uh, found a lot of luck with appointment scheduling for customers that didn't feel comfortable coming in during normal hours or had different medical issues. And we were able to schedule them to have their own shopping experience with a salesperson before or after regular hours. And we still saw success in that and are going to do that going forward as well. So a lot of different things. I think as a company, we we learned a lot. And there's a lot of things that, unfortunately, through this uh, crisis, were, were not good. But I think we, we bonded together very well. And there's a lot of things that we're going to take forward across not just operations, but as an organization and, and do better and, and be smarter as we come out of this now. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Tricia again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now, let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. You know, coming out of it, it, it's pretty clear that there's a lot of interest and we talked a little bit about um, consumers are buying more for their home. It seems like if you can't go to ball games and restaurants and theaters and travel is down, if you're locked in your house, boy, that sofa just looks so old and want new stuff. Um, so retail seems to be doing really, really well. But one of the challenges seems still to be kind of ramping up the supply chain. And one of the things that I've heard from retail, Scott, from the supply chain standpoint, can you give us a, a kind of a picture of where we stand today? in terms of being able to meet what seems to be a growing retail need and, and kind of project that out a little bit into the near-term future. Sure. I mentioned a uh, little bit about it in my last, uh, the last question. But I think on, on a larger scale, is, you know, we, we all made some tough decisions, adjusted our buy plans when business was clearly going to be affected negatively for a long time. Um, we're working our way out of that now. I think everybody had to make those tough decisions. And so, like I said earlier, we're just communicating and planning constantly. We're communicating with sales reps, customers, suppliers, understanding as best we can what the needs are. Again, knowing that our supply chain is pretty long, we can't affect it next month. Um, we're in a, our stock position, you know, like a lot of people's will be challenged probably in the latter part of the summer, early fall. You know, we know that we're going to continue to work our way back into what we want to be our ideal stock position. Um, you know, there's no there's no playbook for pandemic buying plans, and uh, so I think we're all developing developing them as we speak. Um, so constantly analyzing the data, communication, and and dealing with some of the supply chain or the logistics challenges. Uh, I think it's a good time to mention that I'm sure uh, Ward and Charlie are, are experiencing the fact that steamship lines are uh, causing us some challenges right now. They they have taken services out and blank sailings. Uh, created a significant supply and demand challenge that's working in their favor. Rates are going up, and we all signed contracts back in the late spring, and you know, we're seeing spot rates that are as much as thirteen hundred dollars higher the east coast, and even higher than that to the west coast because it seems that they need more flow coming into there. So we're going to see that for a while. But I think through July and August, we're going to we're going to sense the pricing challenges and, and a lot of space challenges. We won't get every sailing that we want. Uh, so we're, you know, we like everybody else 
when we're trying to pre-book, pre-plan, uh, you know, maintain relationships with our steamship lines and our NBOs to, to try to stay top of mind and get our bookings when we need them. But we won't get them all, and, and we know that. So we're just going to stay on it and plan. Trucking, Josh, I'm sure you know, trucking is challenged as well because the, the trucking volumes went down significantly, and then they're ramping back up into some challenges getting drop trailers in to load. As recently as about two weeks ago, uh, we needed eight drop trailers at one of our DCs that we couldn't get one day. That's a lot of money that we can't flow out the door to our customers. And so, you know, all those things we're working on, we'll work through it. Um, but there are bumps in the roads that we'll all have to continue to maneuver around. And uh, hopefully everybody's understanding that we only control so much of the supply chain. I believe we're doing the right things to re-energize it, but it's not going to happen overnight. And uh, We'll keep planning and keep collaborating and we'll come out of it okay. I'd like to throw a question to Josh because I think Scott just made an interesting point, um, you know, about the trucking situation, about the availability of labor. I think that's a, something that uh, the industry is facing now. How, what kind of issues are you facing on your side and how are you dealing with it? Now, when, when everything slowed down, um, we were fortunate enough to have a have a diversified customer base. So as that certain certain industries slowed down and stopped, we saw other industries really accelerate. And so we were able to shift our capacity around to be able to to, to maintain a decent flow overall for our business. There were equipment movement concerns. There was a lot of work that really had to go into it to get it all set up. Why would we see basically everyone really working to come back we again we've been we've been fortunate in that in working with our driving force we've been able to maintain that force through a combination of reallocating that demand but also making sure that we're taking care of our folks that are on the front line and, and putting it out for them so so as as we see both line haul and home delivery coming back online we've been in a pretty decent capacity position but it's, again, knowing that anytime there is any sort of a spike, capacity becomes a question that can affect how much, how difficult it is to operate, how much things cost to put it together. So the key has been really communicating, forecasting, doing the best that we've been able to do, um, working with our partners, both on the, the steamship inbound side, we're working with our intermodal group, with manufacturers and with retailers as we get all the way over to that home delivery side of the business. Um, kind of leads me in it with the, the question that I wanted to ask that I share in as well too with the retailers on the delivery side, home delivery side, in terms of capacity that you guys have been seeing now that deliveries have really ramped up, have you been seeing any shortages of, I wouldn't necessarily call it a driver shortage, but have you been seeing demand outpacing the, the, the ability of home delivery providers to be able to keep up with that demand? I think, what have, what, what have you guys been seeing in terms of capacity? Yeah, a good question. I think the short answer is no. We've been fortunate enough. We have seen a rise in written sales, and certainly uh, demand is 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 nicely increased. But it goes back to what we've just shared a lot. We've been in constant communication with our partners uh, on the home delivery side, on the last mile side, and as we began to reemerge as a company, we were planning that weeks in advance, ensuring that we had the people back uh, retrained if necessary. And you know, to the credit of uh, you know. Who was supposed to be on the call today? Pete Sorrentino, his team. You know, we we were always one step ahead of this, and uh, so well, demand is is picked up very nicely. I, I'm I'm pleased to say that we have not yet uh, had any issues with finding uh, through our delivery network uh, any uh, capacity that we can't fulfill. 
uh, that way. So I, I think our bigger challenge you know, as a company, candidly, like anybody else, I think in retail is ensuring that we have the inventory to deliver. Uh, we've seen a tremendous uptick, which has been fantastic in the written side of the business. Uh, now we just want to ensure that we continue to have the inventory to do the uh, fulfillment. So we're working on that on the inbound side. And uh, now looking ahead you know, to your question, I think Josh asked me in about uh, three months because I just looked at our updated forecast and it looks very scary. We're going to probably set some all-time records here come fourth quarter. If that, uh, And so we'll have uh, probably different stories to tell, but so far we've been in uh, very good shape. We've been talking about things like, you know, we've got, we've got peaks, we've got promotional drives, we've got spikes that are that are always predictable to a certain degree, but now it's looking like what do these super peaks really look like as they're coming up down the road. So, Charlie, how things looked in your neck of the woods in terms of, 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 of capacity, availability of drivers? You know, we've, we've heard a word in some places that, you know, as things slowed down, you had, you had especially right seat folks in the home delivery side of it. Maybe, you know, being able to get a little bit of assistance, it makes them maybe a little bit slower to come back into it. Have you guys experienced any of that in your, in your retail home delivery business? Yeah, great question. Um, I certainly appreciate Ward's perspective there as well. Um, so I think geography plays a role um, in, in this, uh, in the in the southern part of the United States. Uh, the slowdown, uh, the shutdown looked a lot different than it would have in, in a lot of other states. Um, so there really was no ceasing of home operations, nor was there any significant long-term store closer, closures that we experienced. And a lot of that's a credit to uh, the work done by uh by my business partners, uh, but, but it was a pretty common story amongst uh, a fair number of southern um, the southern licensees. But um, you know, the thing uh, with with capacity for us was uh, as the ramp up really, we had our best May written sales uh, on record. We killed it. Uh, we needed that capacity very quickly in June. We have a lot of open open orders, some of which supply chain will prevent us from getting to on time some of which um, we'll get to eventually and some of which we needed immediately in June. There was a very quick ramp up that we had to deal with and you know, we were fortunate to be able to meet that capacity demand, but with it came challenges. And what we're seeing is um, the demand for uh, for those, those coveted motor carriers uh, who provide the labor necessary to move these heavy goods and have the free cash flow uh, and controls to be able to do it well. Um, is uh, is an expensive proposition right now, and we have seen rates rise, um, and uh, that seems to be across the board in, in our neck of the woods. We have a question from the audience here, um, and I think it's it's kind of a good place to to put it in, Charlie, especially since you talked about such a great May and how orders are going. And I noticed Ward, you were shaking your head, so you talking business looks good. The question is, and it's kind of a three part question, so if we have to go back to it a couple of times. Are you ramping up orders or ordering conservatively, future dating orders, and what percentage increase are you expecting through the rest of the year? Um, or why don't we start with you and then we'll come back to Charlie and we'll see if Scott has some, some weighing in on, on their ordering philosophy. Uh, yeah, see if I get uh, all the parts of the questions right, but we, uh, we have a strong uh, business that we wanted to get back to once we get back all our stores are probably contrary a little bit jealous of uh, Charlie there. We did shut down 129 uh, all of our stores for a period of two to three months. Uh, we were fortunate to have a, a good, strong e-commerce business that we were able to, to keep the business running that way. Uh, fortunately, all stores are back up and operating uh, safely right now. And we, similar to everybody here, we've seen a fantastic increase um, uh, in, in our business as we reemerge. I think our last 
group of stores opened up early part of June by mid-June. And so we've been running now like that with all stores for the last few months. Uh, and we've been watching uh, the the, uh, the business rebound as we open up our first stores to reopen them up again uh, in uh, early May. They've sustained that, that that lift, if you will. So to try to answer the, the question, I think, Phil, we've we have our budget that we had planned for the rest of this year. I think we threw a lot of that out the window when all of this hit, like a lot of companies. Um, but we're we're ordering to that original budget, and then we're adding on a significant portion more based upon what we have just observed. Now, again, we have a short history of only a month or two, but we've seen that continue strong enough to see us continue to ramp up uh, to order to affect what we've seen as our lift. So, yeah, we're seeing you know, certainly strong double digits increase above what our plan was right now. And, and we're going to see that, I think, planned through the rest of this year. Uh, and, you know, the interesting part is, while we had a very optimistic plan going into this year, we we're, you know, effectively shut down with the stores, as I mentioned, for about almost three months. Uh, I think there's a very good chance that we should um, come very close, if not beat what our original year's plans were for the company uh, if the sales remain as they are. So I think that's a testament to the confidence, I think, in the economy. Hopefully nothing goes sideways between now and then, of course. Um, but, you know, we've seen that. So we're ordering to uh, match what we've seen as a very strong uh, increase in demand. And that's been our number one focus, I think, as a company, working with our merchandising and replenishment partners and just get it in, work with the factories. And we've been pushing very hard for that. And like I said uh, earlier, we'll worry about the delivery aspect and the capacity and probably giving uh, Josh and some of his partners a hard time here come fall to get this thing back delivered. We'll be ready. We'll be ready. <laughs> Charlie, how about you? And then, and then we'll uh, we'll give Scott the last word on this question. Yeah, I'm just pretty short, uncomplicated answer here. We're expecting a monster second half of the year, and um, and we're we're expecting double digit increases. We're expecting to be planned. Um, we believe Ashley Furniture's supply chain, uh, with all the work, great work that's being put into that uh, recovery, is 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 going to come through in a big way for us. So uh, we're we're planning like we're gonna we're gonna be budget uh, in a significant way in the back half of the year. Everything else that comes with that from a capacity perspective will have to be figured out. Nice problem to have. Scott, how, how, are, uh, how is Hooker looking at uh, orders and, and approaching this? Well, as I mentioned earlier, when this first started, we started drastically changing our buy plans and our inventory targets. Uh, we were looking at different scenarios, you know, being down 75%, 50%, 25%. And running all the financial analysis related to that, you know, as we came out of this, started coming out of it, and say, primarily June and now July and beyond, we immediately started adjusting our stocking targets to match the new demand, uh, which was, uh, I guess, like Ward said, kind of close to what we initially planned coming into the year. So we're planning for inventory targets, uh, knowing our lead time is going to be a little longer probably than we want. Um, some of our product, planning our inventory targets closer to where we came into the year. Uh, I won't get into specifics on that, but we, you know, we're being, we're not being conservative. We're being aggressive knowing that we need the product. We're also being realistic and knowing just because we want it, our suppliers may not be able to produce it as quickly as we want because they've made some of the adjustments they did. Uh, but, you know, we're, our, our stocking targets are, are not, they're not, uh, they're not conservative by any means. We're, we're trying to go into this knowing that Q3 and Q4 should be really strong, and we want to build our inventory back up to a point that we can be successful with it. Great optimistic answers. 
Very good. We, we do have one more that came in from the crowd. We do encourage you guys to uh, use the Q&A feature down there at the bottom as we've seen some of these come in. Um, a good question um, coming in, and it's, 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 it's directed to, to Ward. So I wonder if Ward would talk more on his outlook of furniture delivery costs. I can help with that too, Ward, if you like. With less, and, <laughs> with less and less consumers ordering the curbside delivery, you know, how will the, logistic, the logistics carriers find ways to reduce the costs of white glove services to try and match the cheap shipping for carriers using Amazon or national carrier models. So you want to wrap on that one for a little bit. I can I can help with some of the conversation as well too. Well, we're going to rely on your company a lot, I think, Josh. But I think that the short answer is we have planned for the rest of this year. Uh, we're back to normal levels. Um, so curbside, as I mentioned before, or even threshold delivery, it's getting pretty close back to where it was pre-COVID times, and so that means we budgeted where we're um, where the numbers are today and so from a cost standpoint we're really still focused on white glove and ensuring that we you know number one provide the best delivery experience but also try to control the cost and so I'm, I'm pleased to I don't know if there's any magic in there but we've been managing this relentlessly looking literally at our fixed costs or variable costs just like anybody else would in this thing so I think we've understood our business better in the last three months than we have before and we you know to the credit of my team uh, we ended up beating our budget the last two or three months as we worked through this, uh, working hand in hand with partners such as yours, uh, Josh, to try to understand where we have opportunities and what we can do. Um, and like anybody else in the ops business, you want to have as many effective deliveries as you can. Uh, so we focused on you know trying to minimize returns, and we've done some things. So I'm not going to get into the details to, to to effectively minimize returns a little bit, working with our customers and our, our call center folks. And if you can keep productive orders out there and, and with a high completion rate, you know, and your costs obviously are going to decrease. So we've done a fantastic job looking at about three or four key variables to really uh, uh, sharpen that. And uh, we've been very successful with that, thankfully, over the last three or four months. I think it's a great question, too. And, you know, when, as we talk to folks about how you really look at your delivery strategy, you know, it's, it's, it's focusing on what is that value of that delivery? What does it really mean? Is it's, it's, You touched on consumer sentiment, you know, and as, as things are adjusting coming out of this, but as people are also ordering more online, we look as we, especially as we talk to retailers, and something that both Ward and Charlie's organizations have done a great job of is investing in setting up that delivery as a differentiator for your brand, making, making the right investment in that customer experience, knowing that you're investing every day in your name, in your stores, in your sales training, in your in your, on your, your sales floors, on your website, how you're working that out, looking at how you can be working with the right partners to be able to ensure that your brand is represented appropriately in their home. You work with the right partners, they know how to find the right people to represent you, and you look at your total cost of ownership and that delivery operation as an investment that's going to get you a return on that. We had, we had talked a little bit about coming up with some best practices, but somebody I think has phrased a, one of our, our audience members has a really good question that I think speaks not just to best practices now, but going forward. So I'd like to share this question. Charlie, we'll start with you and then hit Scott. And then Josh, I'd like you to weigh on in those too, because I think you have some insights here. Just coming out of this pandemic, uh, what is something that your company has been able to learn and utilize as an innovative change to your business model moving forward? Mm. Isn't that a good um, one? Well, yeah, it's a good question. There are a lot of answers I can imagine that uh, that we're going to have here. Um, so, um, you know, from a from a customer facing perspective, um, I believe that 
you know, we've needed uh, for a while to evolve in a way that offers customers more shipping options. Um, and and I, even even if they're low digit numbers, I believe drop drop off is here to stay. I believe it's something where there are some customers that just they just want it. Um, we don't know what coronavirus is going to look like. So when we talk about, you know, what does it look like um, in, in the future? We don't, really don't know when the future doesn't have the coronavirus attached to it. Um, and so I think we can anticipate continuing to see waves and surges for the time being and, um, and, and customers make it more and more comfortable with those type shipping options. But I do believe threshold delivery and drop off delivery are, are not going away. I do believe they need to be offered. Um, and I think we're all, we would all agree that we're seeing that kind of demand. Um, on the, um, you know, just from a, from a delivery perspective, you know, we, we've, uh, from an operations perspective, we've, not, we've been able to not waste a crisis, uh, as Keith Koenig likes to say. Um, and we've been able to get throughput efficiencies that we would not have, uh, I don't think we would have realized had we not been forced to get extremely innovative from a cash conservation standpoint. Um, and, uh, and so I think there are some changes just, and I won't get into the details, but, um, there's some changes with processes in our distribution centers that have occurred because we've gone through this and it'll continue to persist and make us a more efficient, lower cost operation. Um, on the flip side of that, on the home delivery side, I think a learning for our organization, a continued, you know, evolving learning is uh, you can't go wrong investing in people. Um, and people are what it's about and, and the people that are often, um, you hate to say it, but forgotten this equation are the are the contractors, the drivers, the helpers, the people who are executing this zero moment of truth, um, you know, delivery, which can uh, you know can both you know constitute the spread of a coronavirus, uh, make somebody's uh, idea of a brand completely change for better or worse, um, and uh, and so much else can happen in that moment. I think that the prospect of investing and being at the forefront of investing in in those relationships. Uh, and ensuring that you know we we have the best available in our markets to make deliveries on our behalf, um, and that we are we, we treat our partners like fair partners, and not not try to beat them down in ways that um, that that cause them to sacrifice in ways that will come back and hurt us uh, and put our customers at risk. So you know it, it's 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 always top of mind for those of us in operations, but um, but there is an element of it I believe that we're learning requires us to go out and um, and invest more heavily in home delivery and home delivery personnel. Scott, learnings and changes? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would consider it innovative, but we have learned several things uh, in this pandemic with the way we run our business that I think will, some of them will stick. You know, we're a 96-year-old company and, you know, the fact of letting, having people work remotely was probably challenging for us initially. But we've learned through the pandemic that, you know, a lot of people can be productive working remotely. Uh, and we've done that as a way to, you know, lessen the, the volume of folks in the office, as an example. Um, I think new product development has been quite challenging during this pandemic. You know, we went from being able to travel over to Asia four, five, six times a year to having been all year. So we've done a lot of video conferencing with Asia. We've done a lot of product development through high-resolution photography, uh, a lot of videos back and forth. Um, done it all remotely. So I can see that being a benefit to us going down the road. It saves a lot of time and a lot of money that we can be more effective and continue to improve on that. You know, and obviously something else we learned, you know, we didn't have a market obviously in April and Booker introduced three collections at April market that we didn't have. 
but we, we sold them remotely through, you know, IRS photography and, you know, we had our reps, you know, you know uh, selling it through, through their remote methods of video conferencing. And we actually have three collections that are in production right now. Uh, so that would be something that would be against our norm not to show it at market yet and still produce it. So that's something I think, again, it's not innovative, but I think it's different for us and we learned it and we'll see how that plays out going forward. Couple, couple of examples anyway. Really good examples. Ward, some, some learnings and some potential changes? Yeah, similarities to uh, uh, both Scott and Charlie as well. And I think I think the, the point that Scott just made is interesting, right? We went through probably the most unprecedented situation we'll ever will in our, our careers in supply chain and overall business. And we all had to do it remotely and at the last minute. And I remember people literally leaving the office for the first time in our company and heading back home and had monitors under their hands. And the fact that we planned this as well as we did and came out of it as strongly, I think, is a testament to that. Um, we also, as we began to kind of wind down and then wind back up again, we went through all aspects of the business and not just in operations, but across the entire company. And we found different things that were left in place that we kind of question and we fixed a lot of things that were just kind of holdouts from previous uh, attempts that we were working on. And so we, we fixed some things, improved our processes along the way. And I think we've gained a lot of perspective. Uh, we've met a lot, um, not just with the operations team, but with, with the merchandising and core team and, and so forth. So I think we have a better grasp across the company holistically, uh, not just in our area. So I think we've become more intertwined, understanding what affects one area and what the outcome is in, in another. I think we work very well um, uh, that way. And then, you know, again, in the operations side, a lot of these things I think that uh, Charlie hit upon are here to stay. And, and retail is going to be different going forward from the stores to uh, the delivery aspect as well for all the reasons we talked about. Um, I think I'm proud also, uh, again, Eric and his team in our distribution fulfillment center. They've uh, learned when we had a furlough of you know, over half of our people and a short notice, uh, the people that we did have left stepped up immensely. And uh, ended up, you know, cross training. We've never, you know, it's one of those things that you never dreamed to be cross trained that quickly. But uh, we took advantage of that, and we, you know, lived up to the price. So, you know, in in operations, we always kind of uh, hope for the best and and plan for the worst. And unfortunately, this kind of came through. And I'd like to say, as operators, we're always kind of thinking about what could happen, and, and we are prepared as much as possible. But the team reacted, and I, I think came together very strongly. But I think we learned a lot collectively as a company, and. I, I know we're going to be much stronger as we go uh, forward, and I think we're in a great position to help our customers in, in a strong position. So I'm excited about what lies ahead of us, uh, lies ahead for all of us. Really. Josh, why don't, why don't you take the last word on this question? Well, I guess it, it, it all very aligned, right? I think the word's last point, our businesses are going to emerge stronger coming out of this. Whenever the truly, I don't think we're ever really out of it. I think it's just changed a lot of the landscape that we're in. I think the individuals that have been working through this are emerging as better professionals. We've been able to see, as we've touched on from our team, we're collaborating more closely internally and externally than ever. And, and I think, you know, I, I know all these panelists, right? And I, and I know a lot of the folks who are listening that in general, we're always good about this in terms of remembering that we're human beings uh, working with, with human beings. The deliveries in the delivery business we're putting humans inside the homes, strangers inside the homes of strangers and having them interact to represent our brands and everything that we've got good going on. We, this has really helped us to make sure that we're back to remembering that human touch, showing people that, that you care about them. There are high stakes at play here when you're out there in, in public during this time, showing them that you care, lead from the front, you know, and, and, and give good, clear direction 
show the confidence of those decisions that you're making. Be open, be flexible. That's how we all win. I think we've been able to see a lot of really good stories that have come out of a really scary time for a lot of us, both both economically and societally. And, and uh, I just appreciate this group getting together, talking openly about what you guys have been through and what's going on today. And I, I hope that it provides some value to the folks that are able to see this material that we Josh, I can't think of a better way to sum up uh, the hour that we just spent together. That was uh, really well said in terms of the importance of communication, the importance of people, um, all of that. So I'd like to thank all of you for taking the time. Um, I appreciate your insights, sharing information. Um, Josh, if there's anything else you'd like to say, otherwise we'll just say thank you and thank you to our audience for tuning in. We appreciate your time. Uh, and. Uh, carving time out of your day to hopefully learn some, some valuable lessons here. Thank you, everyone. Be safe out there. Be well. Take care. See you guys. See you. Thank you all.